0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, May 17th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. We have a special guest today. This Sunday is May 22nd. Each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and for our good friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. Our little team's working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C., And that puts us in the Gospel of John on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us for today's discussion.
1: Sarah Mickelson from Tampa.
2: Charles Willard from sunny Minnesota.
3: John Wells from Tampa
0: And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina And for those of you that join us every week uh, Bill Hall is traveling in Europe With a great reunion of family And a nice theme uh, for today as well And so we have our dear friend, John Wells Who's joining us today from Tampa It's good to see you, my friend Thank you for joining us So he's joining us on the layperson team Go laypersons Charles, now you're surrounded (laughs) And uh, uh, just a little bit about John. Uh, we uh, we know John because he's part of Palmesia Presbyterian Church in Tampa, and and that is the faith community that makes this discussion possible every week. Uh, I I love John because he has three adult daughters. He's a daughter dad like I am, and I have three adult daughters, and I think that's how we connected. Uh, years ago, uh, he's a retired mechanical engineer and manager from uh, GE. Uh, and we know we know John because behind the scenes things happen, things get repaired, people get moved, logistics takes place because of his quiet, humble leadership, and he is an encourager uh, of us in, in his quiet way uh, almost every other week it seems uh, affirming what we're doing. Uh, he volunteers at the Bethel uh, Farm Worker Ministry and at Palmasia Presbyterian Church. He makes things sure things get done. Uh, He works uh, as a volunteer at Tampa Bay Watch, and he also uh, volunteers as a grant writer, and so much more. But, John, thank you for being a part of this family
3: today. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate the uh, warm welcome, and uh, I am a a longtime listener and a big fan of the Lectionary Podcast team and appreciate what you guys have always done. Thank you, my
0: friend. And speaking of Lectionary Podcast, uh, Lectionary Today is John 14:23 through 29. I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version, and we'll get into the questions from the day. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. But let your hearts Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the father is greater than I. And now I told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe that's
2: the word of the Lord. Nice to be to God.
0: Well, folks, uh, our tradition is to put together a few questions to guide our discussion. And, uh, we just take it from there as we listen and encourage each other. We offer the questions up to those of you who, uh, moderate classes, lead classes, uh, Uh, prepare discussion groups. Sometimes uh, this is a way to vet questions that may or may not work in in your community of uh, of faith. Uh, But I'm going to begin with the first question, and uh, Sarah Mickelson, this one's coming to you, so heads up. Uh, The Gospel Lectionary is a response or launches with a response to a question, but the question's omitted from the reading. What was the question, please, and how does it shape your understanding of the Verses 23 through 31 responses. Or another way to put it, as the lectionary committee suggests by their segmentation, is there no dependency or over-dependency on the question? So for those listening in, uh, my question is, you know, what, what is the question, please, what was intended? In verse 22, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal
1: yourself to us and not to the world? What was the question, please Sarah oh i i I think the question is a universal question, so let me step backwards into Jesus is answering every anxious heart who is in search of the Christ and has been reading this and knowing full well that there's something afoot here that's not necessarily understandable um in thinking about the disciples, the questions that they've posed, and I'm going to give you those in a minute, it seems like there's one kind of logic that is prior to the resurrection and a different kind of logic for what happens after the resurrection. Um, What seems normal and logical in the darkness before the glorification pales in the fullness of resurrection light to me. Um, And I think it's because of, of... the gift of the paraclete, and also the recognition that we're no longer constrained by what we understand. (laughs) The disciples seem to be asking how Jesus will abide with them and us and still leave, and where will he go, and when will he go, and how will he return, all those things that are driven by the universal rules of human understanding about time and space um, are offered up as boundaries or limitations to Jesus. And fundamentally, it feels like they really don't grasp the divinity of Jesus, only his humanity before the resurrection. So these are, I would call them universal questions from humanity that says, Dear Jesus, how can you fit in our square box when we know you're a round peg? And we want you to tell us over and over again how you want to be a square. And and Jesus responds with, Nope, I'm around Peg. I'm gonna stay this way. And you're gonna suddenly have a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more flexibility, I think, is the challenge. So I hear those questions as universal questions, and they're asked by each one of us as we try to grapple with the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ at the same time. Thanks, Sarah. Charles Willard, what's this question?
2: I'm I'm trying to think of a way to explain what uh, what my own observation is and how I'm approaching it. I think our problem is that we, the four of us here and the other members of the Church uh, Universal, when we sit around and think about this, we're not remembering that John. The, the 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 dialogue that we read that had been put down by john it would happen it happened decades after Jesus is actually there so it and and the other gospels although apparently written much more closely to the time that Jesus was there, so the memories would be fresher uh they're still there's still a distance. And I, I like probably some of y'all, maybe all of y'all, have wondered how the Gospel of John, which is so different in its orientation and so different in its approach and delivery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how it all gets worked together. And I guess the, the, the problem is that we have been approaching this like most human beings do in an either or. You know, it's either like Mark, Matthew, and John. I've got Mark, Matthew, and Luke, or it's like John. And for the longest time, I've been trying to figure out, you know, which which is preferable, which does a better job of presenting to us the work and life and, and invitation and gift of Jesus. And I've decided, typical squarehead, it's not. Either or, it's both and. And the fact that John is so different is not something to be um, choosing. You don't have to choose between John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You simply choose both, all of them, which is basically what the gospel writers have done. Not not so much the writers; they they were writing their own their own thing, but the the the, the, the believers and the church leaders in the first century. In the second century and on into the third century, uh, as they work through these expressions, they manage to say basically by the the collection of the four that we have, it's both and, and so you don't have to choose. You just have to look and see where you are at the time. Today we're talking about John, but but we do need to remember that John is looking at Jesus from a quite different point of view. Thanks. Thank you.
0: I, I, with John, you know, being a later book, I'm always trying to figure out how to explain you know, the distance. And for us, uh, even though we address life differently in the postmodern world, you know, what were you doing in 1968? This is 2022? Well, you know, it's 1968, 1970, maybe 1972, if you want a, just a sense of the span in terms of those that are present in this conversation that is being remembered in this book, and the, 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 when, when the author is putting this on paper, and I think that's about right. You know, it's that kind of span of time. John Weld, what's this? What's this question?
3: Well, since I'm here because Reverend Hull is not, I feel obligated to thank you for the question, since <laughs> Re- Reverend Hull usually does that. But for these questions, I'm thinking they're bringing out my weaknesses instead of my strengths. But as Sarah often says, here's what I got. It seems to me that the question from another Judas in verse 22 says more about what the disciples are expecting to happen when the Messiah takes the world stage rather than a meaningful enhancement to Jesus's actual response starting in verse 23. After riding into Jerusalem with great fanfare on a donkey, Jesus talks openly about only being around a little longer. In chapters 13 and 14, he stated several times that he's going away, and the reality finally seems to be settling in with the disciples. At least the disciples are asking more specific questions about where Jesus is going and why they can't come along. The Gospel writer describes questions that remind me of children's questions when their parents are leaving on a trip. Jesus even responds to their concerns, saying in verse 28, If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. Kind of like, you should be happy for me. I'm going to a great place. Just like in my experience with children, the disciples don't seem very satisfied or comfortable with being left alone. And, it's in, and in first century Jerusalem, I don't blame them. When you're worried about your future, it's tough to be happy for the leader that you love going away for an indeterminate time, especially one that's been turning over tables in the synagogue and openly insulting the Pharisees in front of others in Jerusalem. The questions from the disciples seem to be coming from different interpretations of what Jesus is planning to do. The author has captured a few of the questions, but in my mind, there must have been a lot more. Judas's question seems to be clarifying just how Jesus is going to take charge and be the Messiah for the world without showing anyone other than his relatively small group of followers. I I would guess that the lectionary scholars weren't interested in verse 22, because the passage that they did select doesn't really reference what I think Jesus's direct response to the question. It seems that the more direct answer to the question is in verse 30 and 31, which says, "I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes to he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father." And do exactly what my father has commanded me. What does that mean? Well, I'm not so sure Judas was satisfied with that answer and certainly at the time couldn't have understand couldn't have understood what was coming. But thanks. Thank you.
1: We're so glad you're <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> here. What he
0: I was thinking about sitting around at the dinner table, uh, John, with daughters years ago, and uh, those questions come up. Those catalyst kind of questions, or things that cannot be done, and uh, it, I, I remember, and I can even remember grandparents doing this, marking the question in time. Uh, if it was a ridiculous question or something a parent could not accept, it, I would say, "Well, thank you for that question. Thank you very much for that question." Everybody hear that? Everybody got it? You hear a question? All right, no. <laughs> but thank you for that question. Or thank you for playing. But I just think about people in my life, and it, it even in business and travels, that say, aha, there's that question. And I think Jesus, I'm with you, John. He, there, there are dozens, hundreds of questions all through this. And John is a book of questions. And I, I think he, he builds on it. And he, I just sense... The, if I were dramatizing this, Sarah, and I have the question, and then I'd have Jesus say, quiet, I'd <laughs> take a beat, let it hover, mark it, mark it in time. And I think that's what he's what he's trying to do because this is about memory. And uh, so he, he works off the prompts. And when there's not a prompt there, I'm thinking of the book of Luke. He goes, I know what you're thinking. I know the question that you're asking, and I'm going to go ahead and say it out loud. So he really relishes that because I think he's trying to mark these things in time, and so I think uh the electionary committee excluded this, not John, so yeah, you know, i want to I definitely want to put it back in and uh, I think it emphasizes that the the followers have to depend so much on their experiences with Jesus, and Judas's prompt. I think what Jesus says, there it is. There's the question. The writer of John goes, here it is. Here's the question. It's kind of like a signal flare from the past, and it may be receding into the past. In this case, the writers got it and took 50 years before. Now we're 2,000 years away, and you can still see that signal flare, that question going up from the past. There it is. There it is. I believe these questions are really for these disciples, but it's a human nature understand the echo of the past like that it's just a fantastic solution to it because we can rush back to the past and the past can rush to us but the image I've had is kind of a signal flare there it is don't forget that signal flare got fired off and we can see it John would say 50 years down the road we can remember it well let's go on to the next question and uh, John this is coming at you my friend If you were asked by a newcomer to this scripture, what does this memory thing or this what was heard or this remembrance message really mean? And I'll act it out if if somebody that was reading it for the first time and say, I was not at the table. I didn't walk with Jesus. I did not abide with Jesus. And I surely can't get some kind of upload of other people's memories, especially those from another culture 2,000 years ago. What What is this really about? It's so mystical and abstract and isolated with each experience. What am I supposed to do with it,
3: John? Well, Don, I, I think you know a little about my family and recall my father, who achieved his Ph.D. in philosophy and was pastor for 60 years, as well as author and a wonderful role model on how to love one another. He tried mightily to bring peace everywhere he went. My mother was the most kind, gentle, faithful, and loving person that I've known, and a Bible scholar in her own right. My brother was a faithful pastor and a pastoral counselor for many years. Even my mother-in-law routinely taught Sunday school into her 80s. So based on my upbringing, you would think I had theology in my bloodstream. (laughs) <laughs> but it's certainly not always evident in my head. I'm pretty quiet in Sunday school or Bible study probably because of my weak preparation habits, but also I'd rather as the old adage says, sit quietly and look ignorant rather than open my mouth and remove all doubt. But to me this memory is about the whole is all about the Holy Spirit. And if this memory is anywhere close to being accurate, I have experience with the Holy Spirit in my life, and you probably wouldn't be listening if you didn't have experience, too. I'm a huge advocate for the advocate. The tangible foundation of my faith is believing that I have seen and felt the imprint, the involvement, and presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit of the living Christ. These Bible passages help me interpret my experiences and impress upon me the reality that something truly miraculous occurred in the life that Jesus lived on this earth. They encourage me to actively look for continuing signs of the Spirit working in my life and in the world. I'm convinced that the evidence is all around us on a daily basis as in verse 26 that says, teaching us all things and reminding us of everything Jesus has said, at least as reported in the Gospels. My experience is that the Spirit comes to me in intensely personal ways, some that I'm hesitant to try to describe to others, but they have a direct and unmistakable meaning for me. I haven't heard the sound of like a rushing wind or spoken in other languages, even after three years of Spanish in high school. (laughs) Most experiences aren't answers that I can connect to my prayers, but I believe there are some events in my life that are too amazing and perfect that could not have happened without God's Holy Spirit directing or coordinating creation, inspiring me to do something or bringing me to some realization. These aren't always significant events like births or deaths, although it may be easier to sense the spirit in those times, but they aren't trivial situations either, like beating a yellow traffic light. I don't look for ways to give the Holy Spirit credit, but a God who hears my silent prayers and knows how to give give good gifts, like opening my awareness to someone in need, is doing more in my life than I recognize When I've tried to describe to others, I can feel the doubt that enters in their response like, well, it's a wonderful thing, but is it the Holy Spirit? I'm not so sure, but these experiences are confirmation to me that I'm not alone and I've loved deeply and unceasingly, and I know it's not just me. Last year, I've started a list of the ones I remember in my own life since These experiences are far too important to let fade into an aging and fuzzy memory, and I'm still adding to that list. Long ago, my wife Carol and I were given a picture of a tiny sprout growing out of desert sand with the caption, All it takes to see a miracle are eyes of faith. I think the memory or recollection in this passage is telling us to believe the words of Jesus And to watch for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And also believe that the more we look, the better we become at seeing.
0: Thank you, John. Charles, coming to you, my friend. Uh, I'm trying to role play here with someone that reads this and all it's abstraction and mysticism, and they say, what is this really about? How can I actually access this, access this, the information in this, these verses? What do you think, Charles? You're on mute. Sarah, why don't you you take the question while Charles dials back in, and uh, same question for you.
1: John, I'm right with you. Um, When I was young, my dad got a red Volkswagen Beetle as his commuter to to go back and forth to a a, a refinery. Um, And when your dad gets a new car you start to look at all of those red beetles to see if it's your dad. So I'm, I see a red beetle coming down the street, I just know it's dad. And I'm waving my arm off and as it comes closer to me, I realize it's not my dad. And I'm embarrassed, but the person waves back and they're just like, oh, she's so friendly. And, <laughs> and I remember thinking, I have to be more cautious now about red beetles because I assumed every red beetle would be my father. Um, but it's one of those moments where you are especially drawn to the things that you recognize. And I'm, I'm with you on the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's like once you start to see it, you can't unsee it, and you start to notice more frequently, and you start to look for that experience in all the things that that happen in your world. And I I think – I'm right there with you because you start to see the fingerprints of God. So I do believe we can access the meaning of memory and of this particular memory. I think good writers carry us with them. Uh, I think you hear words with your ears and you see them with your eyes, but the words provide an immersive connection between the author's time and the time in which you are living. The written word plunges us into the reader, um, or plunges the reader into the experiences and the imagination of the writer. And the human ba- brain responds to this written language, and it is magically suspended between the writer's then and the reader's now. And I think that's the good work of the Gospels, because they they bring us with them, and we have a glimpse. It's not the full picture, but we have a glimpse of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world that they were living. And an echo, Dawn, picking up on your language, of that arrives with us. Um, you know, we, we got images of a black hole this week, and they were sharper images than the ones we got two years ago. And, and I think that we're starting to see something that's always been there. And we are just now having the opportunity to to visually understand it. Um, And I think that's part of this same story. Uh, Kind of like a lighthouse from the past, that we can still see the light emanating from it. And we arrive at the conclusion, yeah, there it is. You had all your visual clues for me today. I'm catching on. Um, But the idea being that the work of the Holy Spirit is a lighthouse and does draw our eye. And once we see it, we start to see the imprint or the reflection on everything around us. Thank you.
0: And I I, I thank you for the lighthouse. And I'm thinking of the old lighthouses, the ancient lighthouses of uh, the uh, ancient civilizations. That's a fire do not, not, John. It's not generated by the electric power that you have made possible in your career. It's it's a fire, and it's not a metaphor, or it breaks a metaphor, right? Because it's it's not like it. It it, it is there. It's the signal flare. It actually somebody fired the flare. Somebody lit the fire two thousand years ago, yesterday, and I an, I came as an analogy for me the other day. Um. Oh, I, I was listening to a pastor just a few weeks ago, and it was her first uh, homily after he was ordained. And I made a few notes. I, I write things down in my scripture, and I have little notepads. And I've taken them since I was 13 years old. So there's these layer of notes and marginalia that's just a delight to dive into after all these years. Way back, many of those notes are about people that are no longer with us, but I can remember it. If I read it, I, can, I know where I was sitting. I know what town I was in. And I, I was so excited. She probably thought I was a little crazy. But I, last week's lectionary, we landed there. She's not on lectionary, but she had chosen verses out of last week's. And I, afterwards, I went and I said, the ink was not even dry. And there you were. <laughs> and, and you were on top of a pastor who I remembered when I was a much younger man and it all That She's looking at me like going, I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm not on lectionary. i like, yes, but, but you were talking about it and the ink wasn't even dry, but it was dry. And that it's that, you know, it's, it, it, if we just listen and put it down there, and I was so excited because it actually helped me last week prepare for lectionary. So, you know, the ink may be you know, written on pap- papyrus, but, or it may be two weeks old, but it's, it's like that dry ink and that's that lighthouse. Those are real words. It was, that's not a, it's not a metaphor. It's like, it's real. <laughs> the ink is there and she actually said those things. Uh, and I, another thing I've come across on this passage is that it isn't accessible. And the argument that's given is because Jesus is doing this for the individual that he, and I get that. And I think that's true. He's preparing them. And there are lots of them. This isn't about a dozen followers. There are hundreds of people engaging with Jesus, hundreds of people a very diverse community and he's getting them ready. So the echoes are there just weeks and years later. He, this is for them. And so it, the, my counter to that position is, yes, but we all understand that. We understand. Every human being I know understands what it is to have a memory that's fading. It, we all understand the lighthouses of the past. And it's filled with pain because I can't get back. I, hear, I don't hear my dad's voice quite like I did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's been going a long time. And there's pain with it right? It recedes, it recedes, it recedes, recedes, This is this, this is a reminder that lighthouses, Sarah, that you're using, those, those fires are there. They're still, they're still there, and they're going to be recovered. And the words of Jesus, of course, are the fires that are there that can be remembered. So yes, it's personal. Can I get into the head of, of, of the questioner? No, I didn't walk with Jesus. But I know what, what that recovery is really like. It's kind of like, Sarah, we talk a lot about People, the women going to the tomb, and they're going to preserve the memory of Jesus mm-hmm. to lock it in time for you to remember and me to remember. And we're going to control the the teacher that's been passed, and that's just not acceptable. It's not. It's not needed. It's not necessary. Don't cling to me because it's going to go on and on. Well, Charles, uh, if you're back on, I wanted to ra- raise the same question with you. Raise it again. Uh- thank you. Thank you. And, and the, the question is, I was role playing somebody that may be reading this for the first time, going, I, I can't unpack this. This is mystical, and you're asking me to get into the heads of these people that were alive 2,000 years ago. I, what, I mean, what's this all about, really? I mean, I, this is too much work. It's too hard. It's too old. I can't unpack this thing. What would you say to them?
1: Harold.
2: there he is. What would you say? So, I'm, I'm, I'm still having a hard time in, 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 visualizing is not the right way to say it, but uh, a hard time in imagining how this would be. I mean, again, we're talking about it as though it was yesterday. And John is is writing about it as though it's today, and in fact, we know that it was it was fifty or sixty or 70 years or more after whatever happened here occurred. and John doesn't picture it that way; he pictures it as though it's, it's it, I'm writing this, and, and this is, everybody knows that it's right here. And that the church has managed to hold that and yet talk about it without trying to fit it into its own original if that word is right where what what what, what would be original would would it be original when jesus was actually saying that Excuse me. Somebody just came in to take care of Nancy. It gets complicated around this place. So um, I, I just I think we have a hard time and in, and in, and in imagining what John was doing and why he was doing it for the disciples decades after it actually happened. That's the thing that I'm still stuck getting, and it's it's not it's not simple. It did. It's it's It was kept, and it was selected by believers,
1: um, so I'm going to stop. Can I add something? I'm looking at the time to make sure I'm not going to run over. Um, so when you're building a technology network and the signal starts to erode or um, to... Uh, become so weak that it's not hearable by the technology, they put a repeater in there. It's a tool, a device that receives the signal, amplifies it and strengthens it and sends it on its way. I think the Holy Spirit is the repeater so that as our memories start to fade, we end up feeling like we've lost connection and all of a sudden we get this resurgence And it acts as a repeater and it strengthens the signal again. I think across time, if we were to look back, we would see who or what functioned as a repeater for us so that we could see or hear the Spirit again and the words of Christ again. And so I think that that's kind of a a valuable moment is to start to look for the repeaters and to start to look for those things that amplify the Spirit for you. I rest my case.
0: Thank you. And thank you for making that case. Uh, And uh, Sarah, let's stick with you for a minute for this uh, final question. Um, How do you distinguish between Christ's given peace and the not as the world gives or not as the world gives peace? I mean, how, I, I would say, you know, Christ is asking the listener to distinguish or to tell these things apart, or maybe even promising that we can tell it apart. But what's, yeah, it, it's very pointed. What, what is, how do we distinguish between Christ's given peace and this not-as-the-world-gives thing?
1: Mine's pretty easy, and it's a short answer. Um, the Pax Romana, which is, I think, the world's peace, is a peace based on rules and laws and human constructs. The world's peace is kept through threat of loss, loss of privacy, loss of autonomy, loss of agency. The peace of Christ is based on love, and love is the difference.
3: Thank you. John? Well, Pompacy of Presbyterian Church is reading through the Bible this calendar year, which disrupts the normal lectionary rhythm through year C, <clears throat> but the effort and programming has been really excellent so far. This is actually the first time that I've stayed with it, thanks part, thanks in part to the audio Bible feature on the Bible Gateway app on my phone. And I've joked with my wife that it was easier to believe the Bible before I actually read some of the graphic stories. I understand that the stories are not history as we write historical accounts today, but the pervasive level of violence and savage nature of biblical conflicts especially throughout the old testament is stunning unfortunately we're reminded daily uh, that humans today have that still have that capacity but it seems much more normalized in biblical accounts there's no doubt that the rule of law was very different from what we aspire to today so i've been trying to imagine hearing these words in the upper room possibly behind the locked door with what i would call the shocking concept of Christ's peace peace I live with you my peace I give to you contrast that along with what the author recalls Jesus repeating over and over in the text after washing the disciples feet like one of you will betray me which seems that in that culture would have had to indicate arrest and possibly death like and like I'm going away soon, and you won't be coming with me, but you'll see me again. What could peace in their culture have meant? No wonder the disciples were bewildered and concerned. The message is that Jesus' is going away or crucifixion will not end his work, his work on earth. Jesus' relationship to his followers is changing But the relationship is nurtured, and the work of achieving abundant life in Christ will continue by way of the Holy Spirit. I didn't have to look far for resources on peace, since my dad wrote two books on the subject. So I'm taking the rest of what I have to say from various chapters from the book, Pursuing Peace is Still the Thing to Do by Albert N. Wells. Christ came not to be ministered, but to minister, and he is commissioning us as peacemakers. Jesus willed us his gift of compassion for the multitudes and for people everywhere in need and in pain. Jesus' peace is one of empowerment. It's a verb in this sense. What we bring to humanity instead of the good we seek to attain for ourselves We must come to see that the abundant life that Christ promises includes quality relationships, settled and safe communities, healthy families, basic human rights, relevant education, care for the environment, a just, stable, and compassionate world community, and others. For Christians, Christ will always be our peace. In that he gives us the will to love others, even those who reject us, and to discern how God is at work in them, too, even if from a different faith tradition. He inspires us to listen to other stories. The Spirit works in everyone's lives. He goes on forgiving our sins and restoring our hope. He moves us to seek forgiveness from those we have wronged. He inspires us to face our diversity honestly, to stand in the middle ground between warring parties, and endure any hardship to achieve justice. Bringing the peace of Christ to the world is wonderful, rewarding work. And while I have the mic, I'd like to say a special thanks to the lectionary team for your faithful service to bring Christ's peace to us on a weekly basis. Thank you, John.
0: Charles Willard, how about you? Amen. Thank. Wow, great! Thank you. (laughs) And uh, I'm. uh, This this was the question I raised from just my heart because it's a it is a struggle. I, uh, I, I I I had a hard time coming up with a way to express. My confusion and my concern about this, because I think, after reading this again after many years, that uh, it's a reminder. I make it personal to me that I don't really have a vision for peace, and that's the separation that uh, Christ is holding up to me in this reading. It's not of the world, but it's what I bring. What I bring you. I am not. I may, I may be called to play the role of a peacemaker, but I do not bring the peace because I do not understand it. I do not have the vision. I have to adopt that vision. I have to pray for that vision. I have to be guided in that. that I, in my own heart, if I sought to impose a peace or thinking that I was a bringer of peace, the peace I bring to you, <laughs> I would say that. I mean, it would be filled with compromise. Uh, It would be filled with uh, casting aside people on their knees. It would be filled with blindness. And it would be filled with a lack of life experience that I will never have. And all I can do is listen to storytellers. You know, what is it like for you to walk? What have you seen? What do you do for me to read, for me to listen? But it's a – for me in this reading this time, it goes from being – a sense of isolation and a lack of information, lack of seeing uh, to Christ going, what's not your job? Um, you, you know, you, you're engaged in the business of peace making. the peace I give to you. It's almost like folks that you know, used to carry uh, fire, actual fire when they traveled. So they didn't have to create the fire. They travel with them. Like do you have fire. I do not. Will you keep the fire? I will light it for you. I've come in on my horse and i brought you some fire. Fire I give to you, what are you going to do with it? What lighthouse will you put in and what you would do with it? So I'm trying to deal with that separation, and it comes back to uh, on earth hubris, ignorance. And I think a call, at least for me in my heart, to realize that I do not have a vision for what true peace looks like. All I can do is listen to stories, tell the stories, have memories of peace, and try to extend that as best I can with a prayer and understanding my own inability to, to picture that. Uh, well, we're, we're, we're about out of time, but uh, our tradition is always to check on everybody to see if the discussion brought up any new thoughts or follow ups. So let me just uh, ask if there's any follow up before we say goodbye. Am I all right? Great. John, thank you for being a part of this family. You always are part of this. Family, no matter what, we know you're out there every week, and thank you. You made it better today. Good to see everybody. For those listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida, and we thank them for making this possible. Uh, and uh, for more information, you can go to Palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Uh, we commend that site too every week because great sermons, prayers. Discussions, discussions of scripture with differences of opinion, outstanding music, great chance to hear great music, and you are always welcome, and we'll see you next time.